You're listening to the Sex and Psychology Podcast, the sex ed you never got in school and won't get anywhere else. I am your host, Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. In the last episode, we talked all about how the sexual landscape has shifted for teenagers today. In some respects, teens today seem to be a bit more sexually cautious than they used to be because they're waiting longer to have sex and they're having fewer partners. At the same time, however, they're also engaging in riskier sexual practices, with condom use declining and rough sex increasing. Sex education is as vital as ever for today's youth, and it needs to reflect the sexual realities of what's going on. So in this episode, we're going to do a deeper dive into what parents need to know when it comes to talking to their kids about sex. We're going to discuss how to get the conversation started, the kinds of things you should think about covering, what your teens need to know about navigating sexuality and relationships online, how to talk to your kids about porn, as well as how to talk to your kids about sex if they happen to be on the spectrum. I am joined once again by Dr. Debbie Herbenick an award-winning, internationally recognized sexuality researcher and an ASEC-certified sexuality educator. She is a professor at the Indiana University School of Public Health and the author of five best-selling books about human sexuality. Dr. Herbenick has been published in the Washington Post, New York Times, and Men's Health Magazine. This is going to be another amazing and very practical conversation. Stick around, and we're going to jump in right after the break. This episode is all about how to talk to your kids about sex, but many of us aren't comfortable talking about sex in general, including with our own partners. That's why it's really important to learn how to build up your sexual communication skills and expand your sexual knowledge base. Not only will this make it easier to give the talk, but it will improve your intimate life too. That's why I recommend checking out Beducated, a revolutionary form of online sex education. They have an extensive library of courses you can take in the comfort of your own home designed to give you the sex ed you never got before so that you can communicate more effectively, develop deeper connections, and experience more pleasure. Try all of Beducated's courses today for free and get 40% off the yearly pass by using my last name, Miller, as the coupon code. Check the show notes for the link and be sure to use my last name to get your discount. The Kinsey Institute at Indiana University has been a world leader in scientific knowledge and research on human sexuality for over 75 years. As this year draws to a close, please consider the Institute in your year-end giving. To learn more about how you can support their work, visit kinseyinstitute.org support. Thank you and Happy New Year on behalf of the Kinsey team. Okay, Debbie, let's talk more about what parents need to know when it comes to providing sex education. One of the most common questions in this area is, when should it begin? A lot of people want to know, when's the right time? You know, they want to tie it to a specific age or a specific developmental period. So when should you get the conversation started? And do you have any tips on how to get that conversation going in the right way? You know, as a sex educator in our field, we often have questions from parents about when to have the quote unquote talk, but we often say it's a conversation and not a talk. And it's a series of conversations. 
And for people who are having babies, I mean, start it now. Start by when you're diapering them saying, now I'm wiping your vulva, now I'm putting on the diaper. Continue it, you know, with potty training, with bathing, where you talk about the body parts just as they are. And when they have questions about babies being made, you know, talk about the different ways that babies get made and families get formed. So they come up and they're usually in little bits and pieces rather than one big daunting talk, especially in those younger ages. But as kids grow up and become tweens and teens and young adults, there will still be opportunities for that. And there's opportunities when they or their classmates start to noticeably be going through puberty. There are opportunities when they are having feelings of crushes. And so it's not specific ages for the most part, but there are some things. I mean, we now say in sex education that probably because of widespread access to the internet, probably people should be getting conversations about pornography around ages eight or nine. And that's a big shift from how it used to be, but it deals with the reality that kids very often on average are seeing pornography accidentally or intentionally around ages 11 or 12 on average, which means plenty are for several years before and plenty are starting several years after that. And so there are some conversations we want to have at different ages, whether or not they've asked about it, so we can have a chance to preempt some of their exposures and give them some perspectives that maybe feel important to our families. Yeah, and I think something that's really important in all of this is that a lot of parents never got great sex education themselves, or if they think about what they learned about sex, if it was anything like my sex education, it was just about reproduction and the basics of how babies are made. But as we talked about in the last episode, the landscape today is very different. When kids have unfettered access to the internet, there's all kinds of things that they can be exposed to, things they might be hearing about from their friends, right? So even if you have the parental limits and filters on what your kid can search on their phone or device, it's not necessarily the case that their friends are going to have those same limitations or restrictions. Their friends might be showing your kids something that they're finding on their phone. And so, you know, it's something where you as a parent have to be prepared because you can take all the right steps and your kid can still get exposed to that information through other means. Yeah. And one of the most common things I hear from parents, and I've felt this myself as a parent in some situations, is I thought I had a few more years, right? I thought I had more time before that question would come up or this scenario would come up. So many of these things are happening, you know, a lot earlier than many parents realize. And Justin, you and I both know as people who have taught college sexuality classes, that many of our students have had a lot of sexual experiences that they haven't told their parents about. Even if they have really warm, loving relationships, again, some things just feel private or they're not sure how to tell their parents. And so their parents may think they haven't done X, Y, or Z, but many of them have. So we do need to, I think, prepare for those possibilities, you know, even with puberty, right? Talk about puberty years before you expect it to happen because puberty is something that kids can't control. Like you don't get to choose when your body starts being ready for like ejaculation or having periods or breast buds. It just happens. It's completely not on your schedule. But if you are prepared well in advance, it's less of a panic, right? Because now you say, okay, yeah, like I I knew this was going to happen. And I've dealt with my feelings about the fact that my body was going to change. And so, yes, whether it's puberty or pornography or readiness for partnered sex or thinking about who you're attracted to, we can start those conversations a lot earlier in life than many people expect. Yeah, I think that's all 
great advice. You know, this is not necessarily going to happen on your schedule, you know? And I think a lot of diligent parents might have a plan for exactly when and how they're going to talk about these things. But as you said, you need to be adaptable and flexible because you don't always know when these things are going to arise. Now, part of sex education is also relationship education because sex usually occurs in some relational context. So in terms of relationship education, what are some of the topics that parents should consider talking about in terms of promoting healthy relationships and giving their kids the tools and skills they might need to navigate some of the complicated and tricky issues that come up in the process of having relationships? I still think healthy relationships is one of the most important lessons we can give kids. And again, it's not just about sex. We can start that at young ages with friendships. And, you know, so asking kids, like young kids, you know, what they like about their friends. Like, well, what do you like when you're around them? And I've asked that question of my own kids and other kids, you know, what do you like about kids? And they often say things like, you know, it's fun or they don't make fun of me. They've often had experiences with maybe some kids who tease. So they'll focus on like these things and you can distill it for them as a parent and say, okay, so it sounds like what you like about your friends are that you have fun, you feel good, you feel safe around them, you feel like you can be yourself. And so whatever the things are in your family that you're hearing from your kids, if you can distill them into three things that they can remember And then you keep using those as they have issues with their friends or they're navigating crushes. Sometimes kids have feelings for somebody who's actually not that nice and they can sort of use that to think about like, well, okay, I might have some special feelings for them. I do kind of like the way they look, but I actually don't feel really good around them and I don't feel that safe. They they make fun of me or other kids, so I don't like that. But they can use those as they get older and they can even use that, you know, you can expand upon it in adolescence and and tweens and they may even apply that to what they see in the media. Like, does that relationship look good to me? Does it look healthy, whether it's in porn or movies or wherever? And they can come back to that because we do want them to have relationships in which they can thrive, in which they can feel safe and be safe. We also have opportunities throughout childhood to talk about physical safety. And even with young kids, certainly schools are very focused on, you know, not hitting and kicking and biting. And so we can talk about body safety. And as they get older, for different reasons, they may learn about, you know, safety within homes and how not all kids are safe. You know, it's very common for kids to have a friend who maybe has been in in the foster care system, and they may have questions about that. And those sometimes bring up opportunities about child safety and family safety. And so, you know, for many different reasons, we have opportunities throughout adolescence and childhood to talk about healthy relationships, safety, and what to do if something doesn't feel safe, who to go to, again, identifying adults who are not just in the family, but also outside the family, like a trusted teacher, a trusted neighbor, or a trusted parent of a good friend. Yeah. So sex and relationship education, I think, go hand in hand. And I think oftentimes we get so focused on just the sex portion that we neglect the relationship portion. And I like how in some curricula, they actually call it sex and relationship education, SRE, you know. And so if we start thinking about it through that broader lens, that might help to encourage people to talk about both of these different things because kids need to know a lot more than just the basics of how babies are made and how their bodies are changing. But more broadly, how do you interact with other people? How do you develop and cultivate healthy relationships? You know, I often say that (laughs) we kind of need to 
rework our whole education program in general. But the things that you should teach more about are sex, money, and relationships, because these are the three biggest things that can cause problems in our lives. And we're just not really taught that much of anything about those subjects. So let's talk about sex and technology. Kids today have so much access to the internet. <laughs> you know, I remember when I was a teenager that the internet was just like coming into being a thing, you know, and my family had this America online plan where we had five hours per month split between five people in the house, you know, so I didn't have much access to the internet growing up. Kids today can kind of, you know, be on it at all times. And they often have their own devices. And many of them are on social media. And as a result of having all of that access to the internet, kids intimate lives are increasingly entering the digital world. So what are some things that parents should think about discussing with their kids when it comes to navigating sexuality and relationships online? At all ages, kids need to hear something from their parents about taking and sharing nude or or near nude images. And that does need to start young. And many of us have smartphones. Most of us have smartphones. So it's not unusual for our kids to be interested in them. But we can set boundaries at young ages. Like, yeah, you can take pictures of my phone, but no pictures of breasts or vulvas or penises, right? Or butts. And so sort of getting that going early on, or like we don't take pictures of people without their permission. I hear a lot more parents like reminding their kids to ask first before they take pictures. And I actually hear a lot more kids now reminding their parents to ask before they take a picture of them or to ask before they share it. Sometimes they say, no, I don't want you to share that picture with grandma. That's just something that I did today that I want to keep for myself. So I think that's really interesting and important. So again, like not only the images you're taking, but also how they get shared and passed around. Because what we especially want them to know as elementary school kids who are maybe have more device access, um, as well as older tweens and teens, are issues about the taking and sharing of nude images. So there's newer data out this year that 9% of 9 to 12-year-olds have shared a nude or near nude picture without permission. And, you know, and it's really good data. So, uh, and it doesn't surprise me from what I hear from parents. So even like nine to 12 year olds and, you know, and then we know that only increases more with um, adolescents. And so making sure that kids understand that this does happen, actually most young kids are not engaging in these kinds of behaviors. It's a little bit more common in adulthood, but it's actually not as common as many people think at younger ages. We can ask our kids not to ask other people for them because the reason that most people send these images is because somebody keeps asking them to and they feel pressured. So we can also say like, hey, don't ask other people, like don't put them in that position. If for some reason someone sends you something, let me know because it's actually a danger, right, to be keeping you know, images of nude or near nude children on one's devices because they're minors. And most states, um, that is illegal. And so even if it's between friends um, who are minors, and so adults really do need to know, and we need to ask our kids to let us know um, so that we can respond with them. So, you know, that's the, the taking sharing of images part. But, you know, it's also about like the possibility of encountering adults online and to let them know if adults are trying to like befriend them and stuff. There's a lot when it comes to being online and managing that as a parent. But I think one of the key things is there's so many issues to deal with, but engage your child in it. 
and don't just come down with like a million rules and be super, you know, restrictive about it, but say, here are my concerns. Here are the things I'm thinking. Here are different ways that families navigate this. You might have some things you've heard from your friends about the rules in their home. What do you think we should do with this? What kind of rules should we have in our home and create them together? Yeah. And I think that's all great advice. And when it comes to things like talking about nude photos, right? This is not only in the interest of protecting your child, it's also in the interest of protecting yourself and your family. I was just reading an article the other day about this woman in Australia whose child on a dare, like used one of the shared devices to take a video of their rear end and then uploaded it to the mom's YouTube channel. And then that led to all kinds of problems for her having her Google account deleted, not having access to email. It was leading to employment implications. Like there are so many ways this can go and spiral out of control. And it just started with, you know, a kid like on a dare from one of their friends doing this thing that led to all of these other issues. So, you know, it's important not just for the well-being and safety of your child, but also for you as the parent, because when you have shared devices and all this other stuff, things can quickly go very wrong. Yeah, that's a really amazing example too. Wow, I hadn't heard that. So speaking of sex and technology, let's talk about porn for a bit. So if your kid has a phone, an iPad, or a computer, there's a good chance they're going to encounter it at some point. So when and how should parents talk to their kids about the topic of porn? Yeah, so mostly in our field, we say start having conversations about pornography around eight or nine if you haven't already. Um, and I say if you haven't already because some kids have accidentally or or intentionally found sites at younger ages. And so certainly at any age or stage, if you think that they've seen it or you know that they've seen it, talk with them about it. Ask them what they've seen. Ask them how they're feeling about it. There's a lot of examples of young kids stumbling upon pornography by accident or being shown it by an older sibling or, an, or the sibling of a friend who thought it was funny to show it to them. But I've heard way too many stories of like six and seven-year-olds having nightmares from that type of experience. So how they feel about it is really important. And putting it into some context. I mean, a lot of the type of pornography that they're likely to encounter, like the free mainstream stuff, is often pretty aggressive too. And that's the part that can be really scary to them. And so, yes, eight or nine might feel really young. It doesn't mean it has to be a really explicit conversation. Sometimes at those ages, it's just saying thing, look like, you know, the internet is built by adults, mostly for adults. And so there's a whole lot of things on there. And just like when we watch, you know, when we do streaming shows and stuff, and most of the shows and movies on there are for adults or for teenagers, and most kids have had the experience of being scared by a show or movie before and having nightmares, like when they saw a snake or something, right? Um, and we were talking like Harry Potter stuff scared them. And so you say, remember when you saw that movie that was too old for you? Well, that can happen on the internet too. And I'm just trying to help you not, you know, have that experience again. But some of the things you might see, I mean, the way that's often described for kids in the 8, 9, 10 age is like there are pictures and videos online of like naked grownups either alone or by the, you know, or with a partner and they're doing sexual things to each other. Now, the way that it's shown on the internet might seem interesting, but it's actually kind of scary to a lot of people, grownups and kids sometimes, um, because sometimes the people who make them are just trying to like shock other people or get a reaction. And other times they're, they're trying to get a different reaction more that seems like sexy to grownups, but they're not for kids. 
And I'm going to ask you if somebody like tries to show that to you, I'm going to encourage you to like look away. Let me know if you have questions. Try not to go like looking for those. Would rather you not. But if you do see something like this, I understand. A lot of kids end up seeing them. You can come talk to me. I'd much rather be able to answer your questions. You're not going to get in trouble. Yeah, I think that's all great advice. And it leads into my next question, which was going to be about something you said in your book, which is how you said there's probably good reasons to try and delay your kid's exposure to pornography. So I was going to ask for some other tips on what parents can do to prevent porn from entering the picture too early on and before you've ever even had the chance to provide sex education. So, you know, that could be filters or other monitoring devices. Like, what can you do as a parent to try and delay that exposure to porn? Yeah, delaying exposure is really important and generally widely agreed upon by experts, right? And so we cannot give them devices at very young ages. So, you know, don't leave them alone with devices. When they're younger kids, and especially kids who know how to spell and read, you know, you don't want them to start practicing their spelling skills, which is really natural, but by searching for things like what is sex or what, you know, what does a penis look like or something like that. And so we want to be in the room. You know, some families have a rule that says if you're on the internet when they're younger kids, like a grown up has to be with an eyesight, like sitting on the same sofa or something like that. Even for tweens and teens, some families have a rule that you don't have devices in your room. And if you've got to do homework, you do it in like the TV room or something like that. Other families say, you know, I don't need to have that much control. I'm fine with them having a device in their room. But the device still comes out when it's time to go to bed. And that's not just about what they might end up seeing in terms of pornography, but that's good for sleep health. And so, you know, so there's a whole mix of things parents are trying to balance, but we can think about device access. We can think about any supervision we feel like needs to be in the room um, and how that changes with age. We can think about any apps that parents might want to have. Common Sense Media is wonderful. There, There's great resource where you can look at all the app options and think, is there one that's right for me? You know, some are really close monitoring and some are less so. You know, we can also have conversations with the parents that we're taking our kids to their houses. You know, some parents say like, are there firearms in the home? Some parents talk about my kid has allergies. Do you, you know, please don't give them things with peanuts. Some people say, is there a dog in the house? I'm worried about pet bites and stuff. But some parents also say, while my child's here, can you tell me a little bit about how you manage devices? Are they going to have access to phones? I would prefer they not be on phones or other connected devices. And some people ask that. Many parents don't think to ask it. But again, when I think about my college students' stories, so many of their stories about encountering like adults online, like ex- exposing themselves or masturbating, come from playdates and sleepovers at these elementary ages and middle school ages. So we should be aware of that and just start a conversation with other parents. Yeah. (laughs) This has me thinking about a lot of different things, but there are so many important conversations that parents need to have and things they need to be thinking about just because the landscape is so different from what it used to be when they were growing up. Other things that you need to think about and consider. Now, I really appreciate that the last chapter of your book deals with sex on the spectrum. Neurodiverse folks are often left out entirely when it comes to sex ed. Now, that's a big topic in and of itself because neurodiversity means a lot of different things. But what are some of the things that parents might consider thinking about in regards to sex and relationship education if they have a child who's on the spectrum? 
Yeah. You know, this chapter is really near and dear to my heart. Before I got into sex research and education, I worked with younger kids with autism and for years and was really involved in that community. And, you know, I remember a time when they were starting to have these like talks about autism specifically and sexuality. And most of them were more like law talks, right? Like about public masturbation and trying to get police to understand, you know, to put this in the perspective of, of the kids or teens themselves and sort of not just get them into like the justice system. And that's really where things were for a long time. So I love that in more recent years, there's been a lot more research and education that centers the perspectives of kids and teens and young adults on the spectrum. And, you know, many of us who have worked with these kids or have them in our families, you know, understand how important it is to have frank language. So not to use euphemisms, you know, like giving head, you know, for oral sex or like a wee-wee for a penis, like just call it what it is. And by the way, that's good advice for everybody, right? That's And, so, and I think that's actually one of the, the things here to also understand that kids and teens and young adults and adults of any age on the spectrum are also much more likely to be LGBTQ+, to not worry so much about like the social ramifications of maybe identifying with some sexual or gender minority. So there can be a lot more freedom to feel like, no, this is just how I think about my sexuality or my gender. That may take some parents uh, you know, off guard. They might not think their child has the capacity to understand that. I challenge that and think that like they do understand themselves. It also means so that we have to pay extra attention to the inclusivity of their sexuality education. So for parents working on their educational plans, making sure that the sex ed that their kids are getting is inclusive around sexual orientation, around gender identity, and certainly around frank words. We think we shouldn't have to say that, but some sex educators aren't allowed to say words like vagina or penis or oral sex in their classrooms. And actually we have to make extra careful that our kids you know, on the spectrum are getting that information. And again, I, th- I think everyone should. There's also sensory needs that sometimes are more prevalent among kids on the spectrum. I mean, anyone can have sensory processing issues, but that does show up in sexuality. So especially as kids get into like the making out, dating, sex stage, it's not at all unusual for some of them to feel like they need support in figuring out how they're going to navigate that because the sound of kissing can be upsetting to some people, but they might find another way to enjoy it. Some do genital touching with gloves, but not without gloves. And so even if these feel like new conversations, try to find a way to step into them. And I give a lot of tips and yes, your kid, but there's also a lot of professionals, you know, recreation therapists and behavior therapists who do have backgrounds and training and can support you know, your kids in navigating dating and crushes and their sexual expression in ways that allow them to be the sexual person that they may see themselves as. And if they see themselves as asexual, again, that's okay too. Not all kids do feel like they're sexual beings or do have an interest in in sexual engagement. And again, on the spectrum or not, um, that's something that we can support our kids in with. Yeah, I think that's all really important advice. And, you know, when we're talking about sex education with kids, again, there's not a one-size-fits-all answer. You really need to understand your kid and what it is that they need to know. And I think you also really need to know what it is that they're being taught in school. And especially when it comes to something like having a child who's on the spectrum, 
odds are any sex ed they get in school is not going to address them and they might be left out of it entirely. You know, this is often the case for neurodiverse folks is that they might be excluded specifically from sex education. And so then it becomes all the more important for you as a parent to step in and fill in the gaps and teach them what it is that they need to know. So thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Debbie. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work and to get a copy of your new book? Sure. Um, Our work is at the Center for Sexual Health Promotion um, at Indiana University. And the book, Yes, Your Kid, What Parents Need to Know About Today's Teens and Sex, is available everywhere books are sold, right? Amazon, Bookshop, Barnes & Noble, um, your local independent bookstore. So thank you so much for the chance to share about it. Thanks again for your time. I really appreciate having you here. Thank you for listening. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology, at sexandpsychology.com, or subscribe on your favorite platform, where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on the socials for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter and TikTok at Justin Miller and Instagram at Justin J. Miller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. And if you have a question you'd like me to answer on a future episode of this show, you can leave me a podcast voicemail at speakpipe.com slash sex and psychology. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>